they knew that the only way to really survive going forward is to become obsessed with your customer. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is sort of shifting that old school mentality of put it on the side of a bus and people will see it, you know, <laughs> or or just buy all the ads and people will see it or just moving away from that one way conversation and actually understanding that you can have a direct relationship with your customer. And I think when I look at the brands that I tend to work with, you know, the Dior's, the Kat Von D's, the NYX Cosmetics, those kinds of brands, they are very much direct to consumer brands. So that's something that I encourage anyone, no matter how small your brand is, no matter how small or big your budget is, really start to build a deeper connection with your customer. And you will always, always find it easier to market and to sell your products. Welcome to Freedom Slay Podcast, where fempreneurs, side hustlers, and entrepreneurs come to fast track their success. If you're a millennial girl boss, listen, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the goods, because every week you're going to get the tools that you need to slay your business goals to create a life of time and financial freedom. I'm Ganette Jones, your host and Freedom Slayer in charge here. Let's begin. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that business as usual leads to business gone. Today's guest has over a decade of experience handling PR, social media, and digital marketing for global brands. I'm talking about L'Oreal, Kat Von D Beauty, Kentu, and Dior, like the big names, right? And she's an official business mentor for the Virgin Startup Group. Yeah, Richard Branson's people, Okay. And she's on this episode sharing the latest online marketing trends and how to drive sales when ads are not working. When our guest Irene Moore launched her first business, DM London, in just three months, she was able to grow it to a six-figure company. She knows a lot about a lot, and she's dropping all the Brendan jams for us in this episode. So let's dive in and listen to Irene Moore. Hey, hey, Irene, excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, how you've gotten started in the entrepreneurship world and what you're currently doing? Yes, of course. So I have a digital agency called DM London. We work specifically with high-end beauty, luxury and wellness brands. And I really started my journey in entrepreneurship, like many of us, side hustling in my last corporate job about six years ago. So I was heading up digital communications at L'Oreal. And prior to that, I had already had 10 years experience working in agency with various different brands. And the reason I had gone to L'Oreal is because they had um, approached me about really launching their sort of influencer marketing. At that point, it wasn't called influencer marketing. It was just called cool girls, you know, doing things online. And um, (laughs) but really starting to navigate that space. So, you know, taking their biggest division, which had their biggest brand, some of the biggest brands in beauty and helping them navigate from the sort of traditional PR and comms and moving into this new world of really incredible branded content. And what happened was, is that it really did catapult this career for me, this space for me. And I started getting invited to do a lot more talks. Um, I started getting a lot of brands asking me to consult on it. And that's when I sort of decided now is the time, now or never, to set up on my own whilst it's still relatively new to the space. And it's been an incredible journey. It's been six years. More recently, in the last two years, we launched a 
division for new, brand new and emerging brands called the Savvy Startup Club, which is really to support those who are just getting started with building their product-based business and wanting to know how to build it into a household name. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm in the process of launching my first product-based business. So I'm like, these are all, all these questions are for me. It. I'm being totally selfish right now. So, <laughs> Good. Good. I love it. And you said that your service, it's the Sappy brand, you said? So it's called Savvy Startup Club. Savvy, okay. Yes. We have a lot of incredible, I'm curious to know what your business is, if you can say, but we have a lot of women who are building incredible, really smart products. Um, many of them are solving small problems that I think will result in being some of the biggest solutions to some problems in the world and some of them just building products that they love and they know that their customers will love so but all incredibly smart women and I'm honored to support and mentor them oh that's exciting yeah we're definitely going to chat when this is over I'm actually creating a <laughs> menstrual cup so I'm excited to chat about that <laughs> yes and I, yes <laughs> and I, I just bought my first one did you oh we have yeah. lots to chat about I need help <laughs> See, okay, yeah. yeah, we're definitely going to chat about this. <laughs> and I know you've worked with some really big brands. So you mentioned L'Oreal, but you've also worked with like Dior and Instagram and Kat Von D and Kentu Beauty and yes. a whole lot of others. Like, what do you think these brands understand about online positioning that the smaller ones still need to learn? This is such a good question because you know, when I started my agency, I genuinely thought I would be sort of rolling around, scratching around for clients. <laughs> and very quickly, I realized that what these brands understood and the reason why they were comfortable going with, you know, a relatively new consultant in the space um, who was going independent was because they knew that the only way to really survive going forward is to become obsessed with your customer. And what I mean by that is sort of shifting that old school mentality of put it on the side of a bus and people will see it, you know, or <laughs> or just buy all the ads and people will see it or just moving away from that one way conversation and actually understanding that you can have a direct relationship with your customer. And I think when I look at the brands that I tend to work with, you know, the Dior's, the Kat Von D's, the NYX Cosmetics, those kinds of brands, they are very much direct to consumer brands. So that's something that I encourage anyone, no matter how small your brand is, no matter how small or big your budget is, really start to build a deeper connection with your customer. And you will always, always find it easier to market and to sell your products. Such great advice. I absolutely love that because I find it, yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of the older older mindset of mm. branding and just positioning marketing is throwing it on a bus or putting it, you know, putting an ad up and assuming that people are just going to click through because you have cute pictures or videos, but yeah. it's so much deeper than that. And a relationship really needs to be built in order to move forward and move forward properly in the long term, you know, to create those lifelong customers. So I love that yes. you mentioned that is the big differentiator. Do you find it difficult for like the big companies to do that because they've been focused on just like numbers all this time? Um, yes. <laughs> do you know what? It depends. It depends on the brand. I'm very lucky in that when a brand, by the time I'm working with a brand, we've built up a lot of trust. I can be quite bossy. So they just let me do what I need to do. <laughs> but I think that everybody knows that things have shifted. I mean, if, if 2020 has taught us anything is that none of us can really say 100% that what worked yesterday works today. True. And so that flexibility and knowing that actually your customer, just as you're elevating your brand, has also got an elevated way of thinking now. 
and is so much more elegant in the way that they purchase. You have to, unless your brand just won't survive. But there are some brands, not necessarily the brands that I work with, but you know, brands I've consulted for who have struggled with the concept that the power shift may be becoming a little bit more balanced. Mm-hmm. And for sure, I love that you mentioned that as well about the power shift, because in the world we're in today, it just allows smaller companies, those DTC, direct-to-consumer brands, to be able to reach customers in the way the bigger brands have been able to do so all this time. And because the customer is so much more savvy, they're definitely paying attention to those that are truly trying to do something that's best for them as individuals and not just trying to stuff up their financial sheets. 100%. Yeah, that's great. So I know you assist companies to drive sales online, specifically beauty and wellness and luxury lifestyle brands like you've Mm -hmm. mentioned, but with more businesses hoping to grab their piece of the online pie, especially with COVID and all the things that are happening now, Mm -hmm. have you seen companies struggling to stand out this year more than ever? Mm, Yes and no. Yes and no. I think The brands that I think have done really well are the brands that haven't just pretended it's business as usual. Because I think we can have an honest conversation. Like there's not one human in the world that hasn't been impacted, even if it's mentally, you know, maybe they weren't physically impacted, but hasn't been impacted by the pandemic and by what we've seen with the uprise of Black Lives Matter. They they simply can't pretend it's not happening. So what we're noticing is that consumer behavior really is looking at the behavior and the values of a brand. And so if you're a brand that is pretending to be business as usual, yes, you will struggle because you don't, you seem tone deaf, right? Especially online. And so I would say that luckily most brands, if they have a decent human at the helm, (laughs) are sensitive to that. And they understand that, you know, there was a time to be aggressively selling and there was a time to really ensure that their communities were understanding they were holding the space to be okay as well so I think there's definitely that one thing I will say is that the brands that have done incredibly well are the ones that I see have really embraced collaboration at this time Mm -hmm. I mean by that is not having this very kind of one way this is what we're doing this is our event this is the launch this is everything that we're talking about and actually having broader conversations that they know that their communities online are going to be interested in and working with other people in their space to make that happen we'll be back after a quick break money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I all of it. I'm just here. I have it on mute while you're talking, but my head's just Mm -hmm. nodding back and forth. (laughs) Not back. Yeah. Up and down, back and forth. Yes, what it is. So yeah, I totally agree. And I the reason I ask that is because I do know that because of COVID, things have moved online just because it's a necessity, right? Even though many have been online all this time, but it's just online, 
online purchasing has definitely been at the forefront during the last yes. couple of months. So I was wondering if you've had anyone just complaining like, oh my goodness, everybody's running an ad. Like, I don't feel like I should run an ad, you know? So I'm glad to see that they aren't really impacted by that. Yeah. And you know what the thing is, it's knowing that things, you're just going to have to adapt. Like, yes, more people are online, but it's mm-hmm. also that there's more people that can be exposed to your message. There's more people you can build a relationship with. So it's how you choose to look at the situation. Perspective you know? is everything for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And what do you think can help businesses then to get the attention of their ideal clients online on the timelines? Mm. So there's a couple of things that I think businesses should be considering. One is more of an organic strategy, but one is, again, more of a paid strategy. But I think we've been talking about user-generated content for a long time, we have, you know, when I look at brands like NYX, NYX that I launched into the UK and Ireland, we actually didn't have any original content when we launched for pretty much the first eight months, you know, so it was all user-generated content. It was all girls of all shapes, sizes, gen- everything, all genders, just wearing the products and championing them. And I really see that return to really let's just ask what the customer wants and the customer creating content. And that really needs to happen for two reasons. Firstly, we don't know when we're going to get out and start doing glossy shoots again. (laughs) In reality, that's just the reality of it. But secondly, the trust levels are so much higher when we put our consumer, our customer at the forefront of our campaigns. So that's definitely something that I see will help get the attention in quite an affordable way as well for a lot of brands. The other way I say, and this is probably more on the paid side of things, is looking at your ads as a journey rather than a quick fix. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that really looking at storytelling as part and parcel of your ads, not just here is the new thing, here is where you buy it, here's 10 pounds off, right? Or, you know, 10 bucks off. Just looking at, you know what, let's tell a bit of a story, let's build a little bit of trust, let's build a little bit of credibility before we go in hard and fast with the sale. That's why I'm seeing this going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find a lot more brands too are providing that content that is helpful for their audience too. And isn't mm-hmm. just the sales, like you were saying before, that was it. All you saw even on retail, especially on retail pages, were you know, pictures of the items they had, which was the yeah. norm before. But since things have changed and 2020 came and hit us like a boxing glove from mm-hmm. the very start, it's just been more of that that quieter marketing, you know, where it's mm-hmm. that subtle sale while at the same mm-hmm. time just sharing something genuinely with their audience that they know can help them in some way. So yeah, yeah, I definitely see what you're talking about. And on your site, you mentioned how Facebook and Instagram ads are evolving. Mm-hmm. Can you share how that is so? Yeah, it links in really to the first point in terms of what we're seeing in terms of the success of ads is that we're looking at other ways that we're driving traffic. You know, we always want to try and get the best value for all of our clients. So it's looking at different ways that we're driving that initial traffic before we move into the sort of retargeting and and reliving that conversation. You know, we're looking at things like Pinterest, which are really, really powerful for brands, you know, and again, a free platform that is 
doing some very exciting things in the e-commerce space. And so I'm seeing that there's not going to be an over-reliance on Facebook and Instagram, but actually looking at other areas that can help build that initial warm-up, that initial audience. And then I'm seeing that Facebook and Instagram sort of come in to, I guess, take control of the sale once they've already shown that interest. So I'm seeing that evolution. The other evolution is in the content itself. You know, when I look at brands, even like Huda Beauty, for example, who, when I look at her sort of story, her storytelling, the, the brand storytelling, I see tons of just helpful tutorial content, no direction to a website, no offer to do anything. Just here is how you can find out how to find your perfect blush. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. And, you know, and that's happening. You know, that customer is seeing that two or three times before they start seeing the brand. And, you know, and that's a brand that's pretty established. So if they're sort of taking that approach, you can definitely see why and how powerful it can be when someone's built up a little bit of, I guess, equity <laughs> with their customer before they start asking for things. So that's mm-hmm. what I kind of see, how I see it evolving. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense, right? Because that means they're going to come top of mind when that person is thinking of blush, because mm. They learned it from was that brand or the first brand, I should say. So Absolutely. that makes a whole lot of sense. And you mentioned Pinterest earlier, and I'm just curious, are you finding that people are clicking through? Because I know people go on Pinterest and they look mm. at the pretty pictures and they may save them and all the things, mm. but do you find that is driving sales at all? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the content you're putting on there. If you're putting pictures to inspire, then people are going to save it and pin it and everything else. But I think it's really important to mix that up with a little bit of educational, you know, or entertaining sort of content. The Mm -hmm. kind of how to, the kind of giving them a flavor of something that is sitting on your website. Don't forget that we're all creating this incredible content for our websites and then we kind of don't tell anyone about it. (laughs) It's a really great platform to sort of lead people back to the more educating, what we call the kind of hub content you know the stuff that shows people how to do something in just three steps or helps people understand why those ingredients are beneficial that's really really beneficial for really really useful platform to drive people to that site so that you can pixel them and then you know start a conversation from there Mm, makes sense and for your customers, your clients that come to you to drive ads, whether Mm. it be on Facebook, Instagram, or to help them with Pinterest, are they providing you with the content? Are you giving them direction on the content for them to give you just to make sure that for sure it's going to do well, or do Mm. they create it and then they hand it to you? With the brands that we work with, they're pretty established. So many of them have a very specific aesthetic. They really have very specific creative that's been created at a global level. And so we may incorporate that, you know, and and lead with that creative. However, the more, I guess, content that needs to convert, we would take control of. And if the brand is brand new or, you know, not as established, for example, inside the Savvy Startup Club, we will direct them how they can create that kind of content when we're consulting for sort of smaller brands. Um, What I will say is that it's all about testing. It really is all about testing, you know, and knowing that there's not going to be one specific type of content that's going to be a catch-all. There's some people that want long form. There's some people that crave video. There's some people that just want huge, you know, like quotes, really empowering. There's some people that want, you know, just a beautiful image. They're going to be inspired by different things. But it's important to have that mix of content because brands, especially bigger brands, can have quite a romantic view 
of their brand. And uh, they have these amazing elaborate sort of stories of what that ad men but actually we've got to break it down to the person that maybe has never been exposed to your brand before and they don't know you know what that beautiful garden represents and you know mm-hmm. they maybe don't know that spokesperson so it's important to have a good mix and so we really work to everything we do for our clients is bespoke in the agencies so we really work to what they have available to them without losing the dna of the brand if they've got great assets already we will always just do what we can to work in collaboration with that Okay, so it sounds like your consultancy side is mostly the larger brands, and then the Savvy Startup Club is more so for the smaller brands. Is that true? Yes. Okay, yes. got it. Yes. <laughs> got it. So, for someone who's a paid ad virgin, what suggestions mm-hmm. do you have for them setting up their first paid campaign? Because I know so many people will look at the back end of like Facebook Manager and they're just Run. eyes crossed because it can <laughs> yeah, it could be intimidating, right? Yeah. It's so many buttons and different, it's just a lot. So what's your advice for them? In all honesty, this is my advice would be whatever you're putting out, test if it works organically. A lot of people don't like it when I say this because they're like, I just want to throw money at it and go and let's get going. But if it's not working organically, it's likely not going to work just because you threw money at it. Right. So if that content is not working organically, if you're not seeing conversions when you put it on your Instagram, if you're not seeing conversions when you put that offer out organically, it's probably not going to convert with an ad. So that's what I would say is that with your offers, definitely start testing them in groups, in Facebook groups, you know, with your email list, test them first and see if they actually connect. Because nine times out of 10, it doesn't connect because the messaging isn't right. And then once you get into paid, it then becomes, okay, maybe there's a targeting issue. The second thing that I would say to someone who's just starting out is that look at this as a process. You know, the first three to four weeks of your campaign is testing, right? I always say that if you imagine Facebook is a really popular person at a party who can literally introduce (laughs) you to all the people that you need to know that are your dream customers, right? But it's going to take a little while for them to learn your business. So just know that the first three, what I see is a lot of people get started and they get despondent because they don't see sales straight away, then they give up. And that's really you stopping and starting and stopping and starting. So it takes a little while for, you know, the Facebook machine to start to learn your business. So go into this with at least three months in mind to start really using that first month to test see what creative and content works and then testing then moves into once you've got your ideal creative and content trying different audiences to see which one connects with that creative content does that make sense yeah it makes a lot of sense and it's such a smart yet simple response to that question because someone will be looking for this magic pill where Mm -hmm. you just mentioned something that makes a whole lot of sense if it's not working organically why the heck Will it work if you throw money at it, right? <laughs> so true. So, yeah, no. So I'm glad you even brought that up. I know there's a lot of people that try to just boost posts right away. And first of all, boosting, guys, is not don't the same. Don't, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> it's not the same as going in the back end of your ads manager, okay? So yeah, it's not the same. I'm glad you did mention that. And hopefully it's stuck in someone's ears and they're not going to just throw money at an ad and they're actually going to test it first. So thank you yes. for that. <laughs> of course. And right now I know so many are leaning on the influencer campaigns. I mean, everybody's seen a skinny tummy tea and all the fashion, all the things, (laughs) right? Like just scrolling on the timeline. What are your thoughts around this? Like should brands Um, be using influencers? And if they do, like what should they try 
to do in order to ensure it's something that may actually work really well for them? Yes, such a good question. I sometimes giggle when I get asked this question just because I feel like I had such a big part to play in terms of, in the UK at least, how beauty and wellness brands evolved with using influencers and working with influencers. And it's changed so much. You know, when we first started working with them on more sort of paid collaborations and co-creating content, it was truly new, right? It was truly like a lot of brands weren't doing it at that point back when I was at L'Oreal. So it was truly new and the cut through, I mean, you could literally put out a video and sell a hundred, you know, makeup palettes like in the, in the first hour. It was, that was how it worked. Now, however, things have evolved. The market is much more saturated. And so I always invite brands to really don't take a, you know, you called it like the silver bullet, but don't think there's like a magic pill. You know, there's not one influencer that's just going to sell on autopilot. I want you to look at influencers like almost a bit like how we used to look at traditional TV now. Okay, so in the same way that you wouldn't just run one ad on Channel 4 or your I don't know what's a popular TV channel in where you're at. I don't even watch TV like Neither that. Neither do I. Netflix it out. But <laughs> yeah, just I that mean, you wouldn't run. Yeah, you wouldn't just run one ad. People <laughs> saw it, right? Exactly. You, you wouldn't. But I think that's what I see a lot of brands. That's the approach that I see a lot of them take with an influencer is that, okay, we, we're going to work with this person. They're going to create one piece of content and then we'll see what happens. And actually what I always invite my clients to do is think about this as a long-term relationship, because just imagine it may seem on the surface having 50 people talking about your brand is the most powerful thing that you can do. But sometimes it can be if they're micro and they have a very engaged audience. But if you want to work with bigger influencers and if you want to, especially if you're putting an investment behind it, I would always invite you to look at going deeper with that relationship with them because that means that you're going to have a more deeper relationship with their audience who is ultimately the person you're trying to reach mm-hmm. and so like don't lose sight of the person you're trying to connect with is not necessarily the influencer you know it's really their audience and and see it as a collaboration they know better than anybody what resonates what works for their audience and so what I see sometimes, and I guess it's it's a challenge that we sometimes even come up against when we're working with bigger brands, is we're not just going to take your ad and put it on their on their on their channel. That's not what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It needs to be content that they believe is going to resonate with their audience. So taking a view where it's about letting a go of a little bit of control of your brand and letting them tell your story in a way that is going to connect more powerfully with their customer. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's similar to something I hear all the time with my audience. And that is you can't go into any relationship thinking what's in it for me, right? The yes. other person has to be connected. The other person has to feel that you're providing value to their audience too. You're not mm. just trying to get your product in front of someone. You're mm. trying to build that relationship and maybe even say, hey, I have this product. I believe it's going to be a good fit because X, Y, and Z. And Mm -hmm. here's an additional one for you to maybe raffle up or do a giveaway for your audience or something like that, where it's also something in it for them too. But I find so many people would send these pitches and not just for ads, but also for maybe guest posts and things like that, Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever PR pitches. And the first thing they come in is I want to share my story or I want to share my product Mm -hmm. or service. And it's like, okay, what's in it for the other person? It has Mm -hmm. to be mutually beneficial. So I'm glad you even brought that up. Yeah. It's all about building the relationship 
And like yes. you said, when you build that relationship, it's going to trickle into their audience because they're also going to be more willing to share it organically on their page. They're not going to be sitting at their table with your product in the background and say, you know, buy this sponsored ad. They're going to give you more of a story because they've now built a more a better bond with you. So maybe it's, I received this two months ago and I've been trying it out and I'm really excited. The owner's amazing. They have great customer service. You get more out of it. And that's because you built the relationship. So 100% love that. Mm -hmm. And what would you say are good results for ads then? Because some people think that as soon as an influencer holds their product and press go, like they're going to have a million sales. And they think as soon as they run their Facebook ads, it's going to be like people converting under a dollar. One of the days they say are the, you know, a couple cents per ad on Facebook. Is that true? I mean, we have clients that we get, you know, a dollar ad, but this is what I want to say, because I think that this is actually a very good question and a question that people don't ask quite often. Two parts. The first part is a good result for us and for our clients is ultimately conversions. Yeah, it's ultimately sales. Yeah, That's not the only objective for all our campaigns, but that's in there. And so what we need to almost shift away from is this obsession with the kind of 50 cent lead because they're not the same thing right so we have for example a client who is a well-renowned sort of coach in the purpose and wellness space and when they came to us they were getting really cheap leads from their agency but Many of them weren't engaging with the content. They weren't engaging. They weren't staying on the list. And so my question Mm. is always, you know, do you want 10,000 people on your list that never open your emails? Or do you want to pay a little bit more for 500 people that are repeat buyers? And are you setting up your emails in a way that makes people want to engage and read your emails as well? Yeah. Yes. There's so much more to the funnel than just the ad. The ad is almost just like, here, we are going to get them to you. The rest is now up to you, (laughs) you know, in terms of Uh the journey you take them on. But, you know, to answer your question, it's entirely possible. But is that the right aim for you, especially if you're a luxury brand? Is is that the, the right aim for you is just to get them in as cheap as possible I always want people that are more engaged especially if you're taking them to a masterclass or you're taking them to a challenge or you're taking them to a you know an experience or you're driving them to your Instagram page or whatever you want people that are going to connect and more likely to connect and engage with your content you don't just want someone who just wants to download the free thing mm-hmm. yeah for sure and that's why it's people stop doing that. I'm giving away an iPod or iPad. It was mm. at the time, you know, and those things, because people are joining your page and following and doing all the things and taking a friend and sharing all the pay, pieces, mm. sharing all the pieces like you ask them to because they want that gift, right? Mm. But you aren't giving them any real value and in return, they're not going to stick around. So 100%. yeah, I love how you explained that. Can I add one more tiny thing? <laughs> sure, for sure. One more tiny thing, just in terms of cost, because it's something that I think puts a lot of people off from even exploring, you know, running ads. I think always think about what the objective is as well for what your specific campaign is, because different objectives are going to have a different cost. Because if you imagine if you were just dating, right? And there's different commitment levels, right? If someone says, hey, let's go for a coffee, it's very different to, hey, let's go for dinner, 
right? So if you imagine like just downloading something is going for a coffee, there's no commitment. I can kind of duck out if I'm not really feeling it. If I don't like it, I can just delete it. But going and sitting through a webinar or a challenge, it's a bigger commitment. So if you look at that, the cost is not going to be the same for you putting out a PDF or putting out an offer as it is for you trying to drive someone into a container where you can effectively sell to them for an hour or three to five days, Mm -hmm. right? So the cost is going to vary based on the level of commitment you're expecting from that individual. Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just sitting here and I like how you explained that because people can then wrap their head around it and say, okay, webinar, I get it. Because even me signing up for a webinar, that's going to take a lot. I have to put it in my calendar. You're going to send me like 10 emails before it even happens. Mm. And I'm going to get at least a hundred by the time it's over. You know, so all of that, people know that that's more commitment. So yeah, for Mm. sure. But on the other end, they know they're getting more value out of it if they do sign up and the other individual. So the person selling also gets a warmer lead at the end of the day once 100 percent yes and one thing I really did appreciate when I went through your website is that you and your team get paid based on performance of the campaign and Mm. that's serious confidence like Mm. what what why did you do it this way and you know what do your customers think about that well it's a it's a funny thing because many people if I'm honest when they come to us they don't even know or ask about that but we decided to start doing this at the beginning of the year and then it was as if like really serendipitously everyone all of a sudden had to get online and it we already had everything in place so we were like you know we should talk about this more we didn't even really have it on the website it is you know there are very specific caveats in place in terms of you have to have a very you know minimum ad spend um because if you're trying to convert a customer into a 50 pound product you know and you're only spending 50 pounds a day well, that doesn't work for anyone, <laughs> right? So you need to be at a, a certain ad spend level before we can commit to that. But, you know, our aim is always, especially if you're a physical product, is to get you there. Because ultimately, you know, the sooner we can get you there, the more that you can sell, the better it is for us. It's going to always be higher than any retainer we throw out there once we're, you know, making our clients 30, 40, 50K a month. It's really, uh, for us, a win-win for a brand that's truly committed, already established, and just looking to refine what they're doing with their ads online. If they're a, a smaller, independent, newer brand, then we'll take a different approach. We definitely wouldn't do a payment on on performance because they're not going to have the spend likely to be able to do that. But the aim is always to get them there as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. You've given so much information, some great information, things for us to think about. And I mean, what you have to offer so far, what you've said just sounds amazing. So thank you for that. And can you, you're thanks. Oh, I'm saying thanks. I'm asking you, I'm telling you. So, (laughs) so I guess my next question is, can you give us a bit more information about the offer that you have and you know if people want to find out more about you or how can they go about doing that how do they know they're a good fit for your club like can you just Mm -hmm. give us a bit more 
Yeah, sure. So I know you get a really good mix here. So if you are, you know, maybe working with a, an already established beauty luxury wellness brand, definitely head over to digital-marketing.london. Um, you'll find out a little bit more about our agency, how we work. And um, also you'll see there's a little invitation to you as well, just to book a call and have a conversation with someone in my team who'll be able to walk through and just find out what your goals are and see if we're a good fit for sure. If you are just starting out and you are really just thinking about, you know, your niche and how you want to start showing up and how you want to start selling and marketing your brand, um, then I would say definitely just head on over to SavvyStartupClub.com and you can just, again, book a call in with someone in my team and we'll be able to just walk you through exactly what that entails for you and where we perceive we might be able to support you with coaching and content that will help you move forward. Awesome. Thank you so much. There's one question I love to ask at the end of every single one of these interviews, Mm. and that is, what does freedom mean to you? I love this question, by the way, (laughs) Ginnett. For me, freedom means peace of mind. And I don't say it lightly, but, and I don't want to sort of dwell on it, but I think we've all had such an insane year. I think that any way that you can create and shape your business and really hold fast to your dreams and start to seriously manifest them is always think about, is this creating peace of mind? Is this the long-term goal? Because if you don't have that, everything is going to feel really heavy. Everything's going to feel really difficult. And just remember that literally nothing, nothing in this world is more precious than your peace. So that's what freedom means for me. 100%. I love that. Nothing is more precious than your peace. Thank you so much, Irene, for hopping on the Freedom Slave podcast. Thank you for having me. I love speaking with you. <laughs> I so hope you enjoyed this episode with Irene. She has a ton of knowledge. And one thing we did not get to discuss in this episode is that she has her own podcast and it is so good. It is Savvy Startup Podcast and it's on iTunes or now called Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify and all the places. So check that one out. And I'm going to link in the show notes to everything she talked about in this episode, including some social media links, just so you can find her. Okay, so make sure you do. She's at Irene Moore underscore on Instagram. And of course, I'm at Gainete, G-A-Y-N-E-T-E. So if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and tag me over on Instagram as well as Irene. Better yet, you can also scroll down if you're on Apple iTunes store, whatever. I can't even remember the name of this podcast thing. What is it called? The Apple Podcast Store. If you're on Apple Podcasts listening to this, take five seconds and scroll down to where you see the stars and please leave a review for the podcast. It'll make a world of a difference and help so many others like you find and benefit from this episode. Okay, so I'm done here and we will speak next time. Adios. Okay, okay, I see you, Freedom Slayer. You stayed through to the end, which tells me that you likely enjoyed this episode. Listen, if you haven't already, do your sister a favor by heading on over to the iTunes store to leave a review for the podcast. It'll help others like you find a benefit from it. And look, it also helps with the rankings. Hashtag transparent AF. I appreciate you. 